I uh, want to invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and put a marker there, maybe a finger, and then also turn to Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about that particular verse when Jesus says, uh, what does He say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Certainly that wasn't written or intended to be us ripping pages out of the Bible and putting it in soup, but we do have to find and know ways of getting it into our minds and more importantly into our hearts so that it begins to infuse our lives and begins to allow God the ability to do the work that He wants to do, to give us a language so that we can understand what God desires to do and a language for the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. You might might remember the setting, Jesus, in those early chapters of Matthew. He has, uh, uh, the genealogy has been described. He has gone. He's been baptized at the initiation of his ministry. We see that amazing picture of the the triune God present, a Jesus baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. The the skies open, the, the Spirit like a dove descending on him, and the voice booming out of heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Right after that moment, the Bible says that the Spirit took Jesus out into the wilderness and for a really long time He fasted and He was tempted by the devil during that period. And the very first temptation that the Bible records is the devil picking up a stone and offering it to Jesus. Do you get hungry after you haven't eaten for a few days? Yeah. 40 days, maybe a little hungry. And like a good salesman, you know, a good salesman, when they have things in their hands, they know that if they can put it into your hands, even just to observe it, you're more likely to pay deeper attention. You can almost picture the devil there with Jesus and offering him this stone. Just take it into your hands and we'll have a great conversation. And this is what he says, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, take this stone and turn it into bread. Satisfy this hunger of yours in a means outside of what the Father has ordained for you. That which God has prepared, the way that He wants to minister through your life, do it in a different way. Step outside of Him. Part of the the song that the youth sang for us that captures my attention is learning to have a trust in God that is beyond borders. Right? Instead of putting border lines and fences around the areas where I will believe that I learn more and more in my life to trust God in all facets of my life. So I don't walk through and encounter a situation where, up, oh, I've come to the borderland, I'll trust God up to this point, but not beyond. You see, our life is intended in Christ to learn how to expand the borders of our trust and our faith in Him. And to watch not only what He's doing around the world, but what He's also doing in our particular lives for the benefit of His kingdom and how God wants to work through us. A trust in God that is without border. Learning to love Him and to have a faith that grows in Him. Jesus, when He quotes this, the response to the the temptation, turn this stone into bread, the response is man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He takes that from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus knew the Scripture. He knows it and uh, He repeats it and that is how He stands strong in the face of temptation. It is the Scripture that He had taken into His life that allowed Him to stay on the path and on the journey that the Father had given to Him. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, you might remember Deuteronomy is, is a helpful retelling of the events of God in the early part of Israel's history. It reminds us of how God had rescued them out of captivity in Egypt and set them free. And it reminds us of their disobedience and the consequences of that disobedience. And it led to generations wandering in the desert. But God was still with them even though they were in the desert. And God continued to provide for them. And we pick up part of that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because He is reminding them how to learn to trust in Him. What God has done is rescued them out of their bondage and captivity, just like He does for you and me. Out of our captivity to sin, out of our captivity that keeps us distant from God, He rescues us from that. And in these people and for them, He's teaching them how now they are to relate with Him, just like our discipleship is intended as we learn to get the Bible into our lives, we learn to be a disciple and a student and a learner from Jesus how to do life as He would want us to. Here's what He says. He says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Here He's reminding them that I have given you words to live by Words that will remind you of what I've done and promised, and words that will carry you into your future. Words that you can rely upon. Words that you need to build your life upon. Jesus would later come along and He would say, what? Don't build your hand, your, your, your house on the shifting sands, but build it on the solid rock. Build it on me. Learn to place me as the foundation in your life, something that is trustworthy. God gives us the Word. It is given to us in order to help us to remember. We're called to remember what God has done in the past. That's not just a history of less, uh, a lesson of history. But if we can learn to remember the things and the way God has worked in the past with, with people generations ago, and we trust that if the Scripture is true, that God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore, that God has worked in the past so that He will work similarly in the present, and we can be assured that our future is entrusted in His hands. It's about learning to develop a trust with God that is without border, where we don't put limits on what God wants to do or can do or will do through my life or through a church's life or through a ministry of taking an impossible task and putting the Bible into languages, every language, over 7,000 of them, I believe. Is that right? Over 7,000 around the world. God gives us His Word in part to help us remember. God gives us His Word and it's given when we are humble. Have you ever noticed in your life that when you are humbled, that you are most open to learning and growing? It is in those moments when we sense our need... We're in touch with our lack. We know that, that there is something more that I don't know yet or understand. And I'm looking for an answer. And God, in those moments of humility, we are most open to Him teaching. We have a teachable spirit. And that is the way our spirits are formed most naturally in the Lord is when we have learned to humble ourselves and to let God do and be to us what He wants. It continues in Deuteronomy 8. He says, Remember how the Lord led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commandments 
He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It is given in order to help us remember. It is given to us when we are humble, and it is given to satisfy our spiritual hunger. And then he describes this manna. What do you do? I want to ask you a question. A question, it's not a trick question. Okay, there's, it's a very simple answer, but I want to hear it from every voice. Okay, are you ready? Here's the question. When you're hungry, what do you do? Eat. You eat. Right? God is teaching us and wants us to be in touch with the spiritual hunger that resides deeply in all of us that seeks out nourishment. And here's what our, our problem often is in our modern world is that we sense this hunger deep in us, and we'll go out trying to satisfy that hunger, yet we'll take food and we'll take the things of the world that we think are going to satisfy us, we consume them, but instead of nourishing us, it begins to poison our lives. We seek it out in relationships that God doesn't want us to be in. We seek it out in a pursuit of money or uh, uh, accomplishing our career above everything else, and our families diminish. Over and over again, this is the story, especially in the Western world, of seeking to nourish that deepest spiritual hunger with the wrong type of food. And God says, I have provided the food for you. And he goes in to describe this manna. You remember the manna probably, that every morning they had to go out and they were surprised that God had come overnight and left this nourishment for them. And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, generation after generation, they are being trained to trust that God will provide the spiritual nourishment that they need. And if they can learn to trust God in these things, day after day after day, over time they learn that their trust in God, it has no more borders. They learn to value and to trust God in all things. Their faith deepens and grows. The picture of the manna is such a beautiful picture. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is teaching them to identify their spiritual hunger and to know that God is the place of satisfaction for that. Some of you might say, or we often have said in different times, that well, the way God satisfies this hunger is a special gift of the Scripture, but we might ask, how come I'm not sensing that today? One of the Reformers, the Swiss Reformer, Rudy, you may know his name, Ulrich Zwingli, I'm probably not saying it right. I'm sure it's Zwingli or something like that, right? Ulrich Zwingli, one of the great early um, uh, reformers, a contemporary of Martin Luther, when he would counsel people to do two things. If, if you're reading the Scripture or hearing it, and you're not sensing an enlightenment or being in touch with God, he says and recommends two things. Number one is to humble yourself. Because he knew that when we are in a humble state before God, we are most open and, and willing and ready to receive the nourishment and to hear the voice of God into our lives. And then he says to pray for the enlightenment of God's Spirit as you read God's Word. In other words, you take your Bible and you turn it on and listen to it or you open it up. And before you begin to listen and read, as you ask God's Spirit to come and to meet you in this moment and to reveal His Word for you, and to help you to see and to be nurtured and nourished and fed. Because it's not just your breakfast, 
or your lunch that's going to fill your life. It's the presence of God and it's your relationship with Him. And so you must, just like meals, you come back to meals over and over again. So we must come back to the Scripture time and time again if we are going to be spiritually healthy and well-nourished. Otherwise, we will end up substituting it for all of the other things, the less fulfilling things of the world. You remember in Ezekiel? When Ezekiel, that uh, prophet in Babylon, God comes and calls him, and before he sends him off on his mission, you may recall, he has this vision. He has a lot of them. If you want to read a really interesting uh, prophet, go and read the book of Ezekiel this week and, and just enter into the stories and enter into the visions that he has and, and what they're, they're pointing to. The very first thing that God shows him is uh, he hands him this scroll, and uh, he's, he's told to eat the scroll. And in the vision, he's like, what? That's good. I like that. (laughs) What? So he's told to put it in his soup. And he begins to eat it. And he's astonished that it tastes like honey. Now, I have an uncle who used to keep bees. And my uncle, his name was Emerson, and uh, I loved watching him get all suited up and that funny hood that went over his face and that smoky can and go out to the bees and he'd pull out the honeycomb. And when I would eat meals at his house, he would, of course, there was always honey on the table. And I I thought it was so amazing and and I learned to love honey because of Uncle Emerson. But one of the things that he did with honey that I couldn't quite understand was that he'd put it on about everything. He would put it on his mashed potatoes even. I said, no, I don't know. I mean, honey's pretty good, but give me gravy for my mashed potatoes. I don't need honey on them. Ezekiel eats the scroll and he finds out that the taste is sweet like honey. And he, he takes it, it's a vision that he's having, but he takes it and it, it is processed in his body and it becomes part of his person. And he's learning to know who God is and learning to know the ministry God has for him so that he is now prepared to go and to speak to the people. But the very beginning of his calling is to take and consume the Word of God. Take it into his life. Let it be digested and infused into his being so that he begins to reflect the nature and understands that which God would have him teach and encourage the people in. What a great story. We need the Scripture in order to truly know God. Many in our day today, I think, need to learn again the value and the purpose, and the joy, and the discipline of eating God's Word. Now, I want to finish this morning before we share in the Lord's Supper. I'd like to finish just by talking about two ways in which I think we all need to be encouraged, starting with me, to more regularly value and purpose and enjoy the discipline of eating God's Word. One is corporately. How do we do that together? I, I love the fact that this church has a long tradition of keeping the Scripture central in our, our Bible teaching and our Sunday mornings, of uh, taking this book every day. You know, we don't come, and there's a reason that we don't structure our, our worship services around the latest book of fad or self-help thing, is that it's always about centering ourselves in the Word of God, because this is how we know God fully. And one day we will fully know God. We need to learn to know what the Apostle Paul said when he described the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets 
with Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone, that the Scripture is to be the foundation upon which a church is built. It is to be the the source that guides all of our thinking. It becomes our authoritative guide. So when there are questions in how uh, we are to to structure ourselves or, or how we are to minister in the world, it always comes back to letting the Scripture become our ultimate authority in how these things work out among us. We trust as we center ourselves around the Word that the voice of Christ is most clearly heard as the church gathers under the authority of His Word. And I want you to know that it's not because a preacher is so special. That's never the point. It's not the, di- the dynamic quality of a preacher or a pastor. It's about the special quality of God's Word and allowing it to be unfettered. Martin Luther liked to remind people that God... If God can speak through a donkey to Balaam, He can speak through a preacher, even in that preacher's faults and limitations. So we come to worship not to be entertained. We don't come just to be extra educated. But we come so that we might, as a congregation, center ourselves around the Word of God, so that we might be nourished by God's presence. We might hear together the voice of Jesus And we walked out edified because of it. That is why we come for worship. So number one, I want to encourage us to be more purposeful in our worship and appreciative of the fact that we take from the Reformers this idea of the Word being central in our worship. That is one of the great gifts. You may not think a lot about the Reformation, and that's okay. My, my work helps me think about that a little bit more. But I want you to know that the Reformation thinks about you because of the great gift that we have in the way that our services are structured with God's Word being central to all that we do and what we give ear toward. So number one is corporately. Number two is learning to feast and nourish ourselves in the Word of God in our own lives personally. It is so important. Uh, someone once sh- recently shared with me, they were at a wedding and, and the pastor gave the wedding couple a Bible. And he said, I'm going to come back and visit you in a year in your home. And he he jokingly said, I'm going to see how much dust has piled up on your Bible. Right? You know what he was saying? He was encouraging them to let the Bible be the foundation of their marriage and the voice of Christ out of the Bible to be the centerpiece of making their marriage last and uh, letting them learn the mystery of two people becoming one. You see, just because we have so much access to the Bible in our Western world and our American culture does not mean that we all access the Bible in the way that we should or as often as we could or as faithfully as I think God would want us. And I tell you, I'm at the front of that line. God has given us and blessed us with the Word and blessed so many of us with the ability to read. And now we have more and more possibilities to hear But the Word of God is available so that you and I, if we would prioritize it into our lives, we would know the joy and reap the benefits of hearing God speak in the voice of Jesus. I want to encourage you. uh, Morgan has a Bible app that I've mentioned on his table called Bible.is. Uh, it's a wonderful app, and a lot, it has the Bible translated in tons of languages. You'll, you may want to check that out. If you're in, interested in reading the Bible throughout the year, starting maybe this week, there's another app I've come across called Read Scripture. 
Read Scripture, and it's a great framework for helping you read the Bible through in context, reading it not by bits but in books and uh, learning to understand and appreciate the, the larger picture and the context in which God has spoken His Word to us. So this morning, as we transition ourselves into the Lord's Supper, we're reminded again of these words that Jesus said that we do not live merely on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me invite the deacons to come if you're serving this morning and help me here. Jesus, on that first last supper, He, he gave this meal... And He gave it to us as a a way of repeating it to remind us regularly through certain symbols of the truths of what He has done. We have symbols of bread and, and a cup poured out to remind us that Jesus, a real person in a real piece of geography, in a real period of time, came to the earth in order to reveal the real God to us. To literally put flesh on who God is... And then when He hung on the cross, He allows us to see His flesh broken and battered and bruised and His blood poured out. It's kind of a gruesome image in our modern sensibilities. But they're images helping us to know that God was so willing to die the perfect life sacrificed in the perfect way so that our imperfect lives in Him might be ushered forth out of death and into His very life. It's an exchange that God offers us through the cross. So when we take these elements today, we're reminded that Jesus laid His life down on purpose. He reminded us that no one took His life from Him. We don't point fingers and blame anybody for killing Jesus, for that was His whole purpose in coming, was so that He might exchange His perfect life for your and my imperfect lives, and so that in Him we might learn to live faithfully. The night that He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He broke it. And He passed it out and He said, This is My body, broken for you. Won't you take and nourish your life in taking Me inside of you? Father, we thank You for Your great gift and the reminder that we have every time that we participate in the Lord's Supper that You have come, You have died, You have risen again from the dead, and that You reign victorious And you come and you minister yourself to us. Remind us today that you are risen in our lives. Let us rejoice in the life that you call us to. Help us to be nourished this morning through this bread. In your name, Jesus, we pray together. Amen.